HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's show is brought to you by Bob's Red Mill, sharing nothing but the best in whole grain nutrition and committed to their mission of good food for all. Learn more at bobsredmill.com slash podcast. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm Damon Bolte. Hey, my name is Souther Teague. Welcome back, buddy. Hey, man. Good to see you. Where were you last week? I was at BevCon in Charleston. Also uh, good Charleston. to see you as well. Yeah, oh, thanks. <laughs> Implied. I was at BevCon in Charleston. Oh, yeah. How was it? It was great. I highly recommend it. It was only their second year, but they really dialed that shit in. Nice. It's kind of like the beginnings of Tales of the Cocktail, but with this one, it's... Uh, it's industry only. They don't, it's not. Uh, there's no. There's no enthusiasts. Which, without putting it in a harsh term, it makes it seem a little more serious. People. Yeah. People are really like paying attention, taking notes, asking good questions. Yeah. Also getting drunk, but not so much yeah. the last thing. Yeah. Right. I'm <laughs> sure. Uh, but you uh, didn't you like teach a class or? Yeah, I, I was uh, part of a seminar down there called uh, "Y'all Come Back Now." Which was all about uh, you like that. I really like that. Which was all about uh, uh, you know hospitality and generating return guests, and uh, so it was a panel of myself and two others, and uh, one talked more about the design of the space itself and how that welcomes people in and welcomes them back, uh, which certainly I employ at my place and you do as well. Uh, one was talking about um, the digital world and how you can use uh, uh, you know geo fencing and. Uh, all these other techniques to... You're just to, making up words now. Yeah, kind of. That's what I thought she was doing. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, to use those those techniques and, and whatever to get people in your door, and then, of course, to uh, re- encourage them to return. Um, you know, it's kind of like a, she, she described it as the digital uh, punch card, you know? Every time you come in, you get your card punched. And oh, after yeah. 10 visits, you get, you get your nose punched. Huh. Or, or what have you? Did you ever do that at Extra Fancy? You know they had that card. Uh, if you bought, uh, they did Lobster Roll Tuesdays, and if you if you got yeah. your card punched ten times for Lobster Roll, you got a free coffee. Yeah, good free coffee. <laughs> Hilarious. People would be thinking yeah, they're they going to get that. a free Lobster Roll. <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> that was one of Rob's funniest uh, yeah. jokes. But yeah, they did that for like one customer who came in yes. all the time. And he said, "You should do a thing where, you're like, just like at a coffee place, where you get a free coffee." And yeah. he's like, "Okay." And he went down. <laughs> he went down in the basement to the office and up. designed it. Like he just like uh, left the bar yeah. and designed a punch card that if you had ten lobster rolls, you got one free coffee. Yeah, ten twenty dollar lobster rolls gets you one three dollar coffee. <laughs> It's, it's good, amazing. It's a good deal for everybody involved. <laughs> uh, yeah. How about you? You had a great show last week. I listened to it from afar. Yeah. With uh, Lady Hawk. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, we actually... Uh, that was... The Cocktail Cowboy Rides Again. <laughs> I'm going to use that forever. Um, yeah, it was It was a lot of fun. I'm She's getting a... that tattooed on you. <laughs> yeah, man. She was... Uh, She's always great. Super charming. Um, really happy for her new job. And... She came up with a we came up with the speakeasy I cocktail, listened, and which, here we are drinking actually, it. Actually, it's on the rocks today because it's a little warm, but it's uh, it's a whiskey based cocktail. Yeah, it's two ounces rye, uh-huh. half an ounce bitter eighteen, half an ounce Chenard seventy, rinse Peugeot bitters, orange twist, and it's quite delicious. What whiskey did you use in there today? Well, I'll tell you all about it. <laughs> or actually, I'm going to let these guys tell you about it. Uh, so we use the Michter's Rye, the US one. Yeah. And here it is. Here it is. We're going to have some of that Victor's today. Victor's Single Barrel on US 1 Straight Rye Whiskey. Delicious juice. 84.8 proof. Because she did mention that the drink needed to be an overproof, and that's that's over. Yeah. Yeah, right on. It's delicious, too, <laughs> by the way. Thank you, Lacey Hawkins. Thanks, Lacey. Um, and why don't you uh, introduce our guest today? Yeah, well, so we've got uh, uh, Joseph uh, from Mictors.com, as well as Dan McGee, who is the, uh, you're, you're the head of distillery. Is that, is that your title again? I'm, I'm sorry. the distiller. You are the distiller. Yep. And you, you, uh, you had to actually injure someone to be here today. Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately our master distiller, Pam Heilman, couldn't be with us. And, yeah, uh, you pushed her down some stairs is what I hear. <laughs> she injured her back. <laughs> she injured her back. She injured her back. But well, we're, No, you just hugged too hard. Yeah, yeah. That's what it is. All the love at Mixtures. Uh, well, we're sad to have her not here, but we're super happy to have you here. It's your second visit to New York. Yes. How do you find New York this trip? Well, when was the last visit, first of all? Uh, a little over a year ago. So two visits in two years. Yeah. Um, so not too great a distance in between, but okay. So how's your trip this time? Uh, it's been awesome. Uh, met a lot of people, nice people. You're staying at a little hotel called the Nomad. Yeah, they got a nice lobby bar. Yeah, it's very okay. nice. <laughs> it's all right. Yeah, they're doing. I hope they make it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like they're in the struggle. Actually, Lacey, they're in the uh, struggle stage right now. I hope they make. It. Yeah, Lacey, Lacey used to work there. there. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Welcome to the show, guys. Yeah. So let's talk about the juice. Yeah. Well, well, first of all, let's just ask, what are you doing in town? You didn't just come for us. I'd be flattered if you did, but <laughs> oh. seems like a long trip for a radio show. Partly we did, so. Uh, ah, but no, nice. I came in town to, you know, again, meet everybody that helps support us, uh, friends and family. So, um, you know, um, New York has a wonderful food and cocktail scene. It's It's been awesome. That's uh, all right. Yeah, You're just all right. All right. I've been full for... Uh, Three days now. <laughs> that's funny. That's how I feel whenever I go down that way. I can't stop eating when I'm in the South. Oh, yeah. I was, in, I was, well, in, I was in Charleston, and I, I definitely ate more than I drank. I think that's just travel in general. Yeah, that's true. You want to see right. what people have. Yeah. Um, and, what, and what you can't have most of the time. So let's just get friendly for, for first, and then we'll talk business later. But like, <laughs> what, uh, so have you, what's, uh, when did you get here? Uh, Monday morning. Monday morning. Uh, and, and today's Wednesday, so you've only had, had really two nights in town. What, uh, what's been the highlight so far? Um, well, things like uh, seamstress, um, meeting a lot of the, the bartenders that are part of the um, 
U.S. Um, United States Bartenders Guild. Yeah, that's sorry. right. I'm the president. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. But you know, events yeah, you did, like you that. You did like a happy hour for us uh, yeah, up at yeah. Seamstress. Yep. Um, lovely spot up on the Upper East. Yep. We did a nice tasting and uh, and just enjoyed hearing everybody's feedback of our product. And um, I now know where our rye is. It's in New York City. Um, <laughs> So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> right? Is it all funneling straight up here? We're a pretty thirsty group. It seems like you know in Kentucky it's bourbon. You know, not you come to New York and you see all of our, of our products, but then rye, and the, we've been getting great feedback of how well it mixes in with cocktails and so forth. So it's delicious in this one. Yep. So I, I, I love it. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Do you reckon there's any correlation there between like? Uh, maybe sort of city versus country. Is the city more ride-driven? And I don't just mean New York, maybe Chicago, San Francisco, L.A., all the cities, all the bigger markets. Do you think we drink more rye than we do bourbon? I, I, well, here, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I, you know, it all depends. I, I, I think it, you know, can come and go also. But, uh, you know, our rye, it, um, it's a very nice rye, what we call a Kentucky-style rye. It uh, has a lower rye content in the mash bill with a little more corn, so a nice balance some sweetness and i think it mixes in very well and makes a nice cocktail yeah um, definitely yeah i i i'm certainly no stranger to using it <laughs> at my bar <laughs> yeah yeah man you know the one that i've been using a lot lately just like well turned a lot of people on to uh is the just the the blue label the american okay we and i know my buddy john holzinger works for you guys like we uh we definitely that's the one we go for a lot of times when we're having a whiskey together yeah, the the American unblended whiskey is. John's a, in the studio, by the way. He's just being real quiet over there, <laughs> church mousing it in the corner. It is a very nice whiskey. It's a uh, sweet. It uh, can be a dessert whiskey. Um, it's also awesome because it's a, a whiskey that can be used to introduce somebody to the category. Sure. Um, you know, it, it's whiskey that's aged in new toasted charred oak barrels uh used toasted charred oak barrels and we also will take which are our barrels and we'll also take other barrels um that have been used and have them recharred and then we blend them and then play on that and make a very nice sweet whiskey you know it's it's not just i think i think you are right you know with uh it can be a really good introductory whiskey for people who are not necessarily like ready to go to a rye yet for for instance, but the uh, a lot of the people, right a lot of the people that that I've noticed are drinking the American whiskey are kind of like old pros, like myself and and John. <laughs> and, and like, but seriously, there there's some people who are just like really like really into, uh, yeah, exactly. like the the American whiskey where it's just like it's it's bold and rich, and I think that's I think that's it. I don't think it's necessarily sweeter. I think it's richer. Sure. To me, you know. it, it, it's really unique because you know one of the great things about American whiskey is that unlike you know bourbon, which has to be fifty-one percent you know corn, unlike American rye, fifty-one percent rye, um, you know the master distillers and the distillers have a lot of leeway in terms of what type of grains they can use, so they can be very creative with the mash bill. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and as Dan said, you know, uh, uh, you know, we actually, uh, we, we have barrels that are used barrels that we, uh, we, we dump our bourbon barrels, and while they're still wet, we, we fill them. We use some new cooperage, too. But then, uh, you know, we've done a lot of experimentation with uh, Kelvin, a Kentucky company, um, and uh, we've done some, you know, some special rechoring with them. And so, again, it allows our people like Dan and Pan to be very creative. Cool. 
I, yeah, there, I, there's so oh, much yeah. room. Yeah, there's so much room in the category uh, for for experimentation, and I think uh, once you sort of go down that rabbit hole and become uh, a whiskey, uh, what nerd? I can't think of a better <laughs> word right now. Aficionado. That seems too high. Yeah. Uh, once you become like a whiskey nerd, you you want to you want you kind of want to go collect them all. You know, like Pokemon. Like sure, I was going to say <laughs> it's really else, it's, but sure, Pokemon. <laughs> it, it, it's really interesting when we first came out with the American whiskey. Um, our, our distributors told us, "Please don't make too much, because uh, you're going to go broke <laughs> with it." And 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 they said nobody's drinking American whiskey. And um, what year was so, that? Uh, it, <laughs> That's got to be some time ago. It was it was it was it was, it was time it was some time ago. Um, and you know, we, I started working to restart mixers in the mid 1990s, and the market was just totally different than it is right now. It was just it just totally. I mean, Kentucky was awash with just amazing whiskey. There was very little market for older American whiskeys. There was almost no market for rye whiskey. I mean, it's amazing. Like, you know, um, uh, one of the, we don't, we honestly don't know the exact mash bill, but the uh, Michter's Pennsylvania sour mash uh, mm-hmm. from the 70s and 80s, are best-selling type, which I actually sold uh, at, while I was in college. I sold Pennsylvania Michter's. Wow. Um, um, it, it's unclear what the mash bill was, but Michael Jackson in World Guide to Whiskey 1988 wrote that the mash bill was 38% corn, 50% rye, and 12% barley malt. And a lot of people think that he think that uh, Mictress Pennsylvania purposely kept it at 50 and didn't go 51 or more because they were afraid the government would make them call it rye. And to put rye on the label in oh. those days would have been marketing death. Huh. Wow, that's... That's fascinating. Yeah. Like avoiding... Because now it's such a popular category. Yeah, totally. Uh, so what, that's you, you, you made me uh, realize. So when did the resurrection of Mictors come about? Um, I started. I started working on. You know, Mictors obviously has a lot of history, but you know the Pennsylvania company had a hard time, as did so many other American distillers, yep. uh, in the seventies and the eighties. It went bankrupt in nineteen eighty nine, and um, it was actually an abandoned trademark. I started working on it. Uh, on, on restoring it in the mid '90s, and um, you know, one of my mentors in the business um, had run Old Taylor, Old Crow, and Old Granddad for National Distillers, which was a quite mm-hmm. big company absorbed sure. eventually by Beam. Um, and uh, he later became president of Austin Nichols Wild Turkey, and that was Dick Newman. Uh, and Dick was a great guy, and D- Dick Dick was just a Dick knew whiskey so well and knew Kentucky so well. And um, you know, when I told him that I wanted to start working on Mictors. Um, you know, he, you know, he got on board and really helped me. And so uh, um, it, it took a while to get started. We really went through three phases of production. The first phase of production, we had nothing to do with it. I mean, stuff was already made. Um, and again, when people heard, we, we started with two types. We started with a 10-year rye and 10-year bourbon. And that was our goal. Um, we were actually going to start with just 10-year rye, but our distributors said, guys, you're not going to sell anything. You got to at least have bourbon. Um, and right. so, and Buy so, two bourbons get it right free. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> In the beginning, exactly. Just to move it. So, so, um, um, so, so we we started with that. But when when, when we went out to, around to these Kentucky distilleries to taste around, they were so happy that somebody wanted old whiskey because they really had nothing to do with it. I mean, and when they heard people want a rye, they were like, you know, doing the happy dance because uh, they just they, they just had just way too much rye. Yeah, I mean, they just had, they, well, they had just had. They barrels didn't know what and to barrels do with and rye. barrels of whiskey I mean, laying be, around. Be, 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 people, people were sending, you know, people were sending off rye whiskey to Canada to be, you know, sort of bled did, into uh, a Canadian whiskey and horror. stuff like that. I mean, <laughs> and and so so um, 
Um, any, anyway, uh, we tasted around and we sort of picked the style that we were hoping to eventually make. That was phase one. Phase two, you know, because we still didn't have the money for a distillery. Distilleries are quite expensive. You know, you can a lot do, of copper. Yeah, it, <laughs> a lot it, of pipes. It is. But, you know, one of the things that we, thank God, we didn't realize it or else my partners and I may not have done a distillery. Um, it's much more expensive than a brewery or a winery. And a brewery, you know, the stuff gets to 15% uh, alcohol, wine, maybe 20% alcohol. You know, our stuff's 70% alcohol or more. And so it's explosive. And, and, and when you deal with something that's explosion-proof, if, if you play by the rules, which we do, um, you have to have explosion-proof equipment. And the best indication of sort of how expensive that is, when we bought our, our first forklift in Kentucky... Um, our, our forklift was thirty. A good new forklift was thirty-five thousand dollars. An explosion-proof one was ninety thousand dollars. Jesus. So whenever I hear That's explosion, an expense I would have never thought of. Nope, no, but in no, the but, distillery world. But 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 the fact that you need to have explosion-proof, you know, switches and explosion-proof lighting in a lot of the areas of the distillery. It adds, even in an operation that's not that, not that big, it could add millions and millions of dollars of extra cost. So distilleries are very expensive. Phase two, we didn't have the money for our own distillery yet. So we went um, in the early 2000s to a Kentucky, very good Kentucky distiller who, like everybody else then, had, was, was, was operating under capacity. And a certain number of days were Michter's years. We were technically a non-DSP. We, weren't a, we weren't a, didn't have our own distillery. But, but it was more than just sort of buying somebody else's stuff. We were using the same yeast we use now, the same mash bills we use now. We were barreling at 103 proof rather than industry standard higher proof. So it was a little bit more like we were like a chef that couldn't afford in his own restaurant kitchen yet cooking were, in somebody else's kitchen. You were gypsy distilling, basically. Yeah, but yeah exactly. exactly. That, that's a great way to put it. I never heard that, but it's a great way to, to, to describe it. And then the third phase, finally in 2012, we had enough money for our own distillery, uh, which is right in Louisville and... Um, you know, with love, to love. I mean, um, we're, we are so honored to be here today with you two guys. I mean, it's pretty <laughs> incredible. I mean, Thank really, you. Damon and Souther. I mean, I, 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 you know, your reputations will precede you, and uh, we're just thrilled to be here. And we'd love to have you down or any of your friends down to the distillery in Louisville, right in Louisville. So, Souther Teague and the Cocktail Cowboy on tour. <laughs> I'm, I'm never going to tire of this. Just so you know, it's the only we'll, beginning. We'll record a show down there. <laughs> Hell yeah, That'd absolutely. Um, Let's look at our calendars after the show and figure out where yeah, we can we, go. We're definitely doing that. I'm booked till January. I've got to break your heart and tell you that right now. <laughs> <laughs> I told you why, didn't I? I have deadlines, bro. I, I signed, yeah, a, I signed I a book deal. I know. Everybody get ready. Yeah. Um, it's going to be the follow-up to Distillery Cats. Yes, it Thomas is. Parsons. Yes, dis Distillery Mice. Just a, <laughs> bunch of, just a bunch of dead mice laying around. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I'm not going to say no to an invitation to come down and, and, uh, and see the, the place. And also, i got, I got to guarantee you, I've been to many a distillery, and now my eyes are going to be peeled for explosive-proof equipment. Yeah. That's a, that's a shocking eye-opener. I didn't even think about that. This I mean, it's, it obviously makes total sense, and someone thought of it probably because someone got blown up, but, like, an explosive-proof forklift and lighting yeah. and switches... I mean, yeah, that adds to the expense, I'm sure. This is stuff I've never even considered before right. when thinking about it. And right. this, so like, all of you out there pipe dreaming about opening a distillery, there's about a million bucks that goes into stuff that's just explosive proof. Just to move other stuff around. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, like it's like learning about that side of the business is fascinating to me. Like, like just also like the history of like the different distilleries and where things were made and how they moved and acquisitions and mergers and all that stuff. It's like it's it's amazing, man. It's like I love talking about the production of the whiskey, but I also thank there, you for there, telling yeah, us about there, that. No, there, there's there's so much you know there's so much 
history in the industry and and all over the U.S. at least, you know, there, there's so much interwoven stuff. I was on a panel with, with my dear friend, uh, uh, Jimmy Russell, who I respect uh, tremendously. Yep. And uh, Jimmy said, hey, you're the Mictus guy. I said, yeah. And he said, well, you know, let me tell you, Dick Newman sent me to do a due diligence on acquiring Pennsylvania Mictors in the 1970s. And th this is like two years ago. And he's like, and I didn't like it because, and he went into this in tremendously detailed uh, uh, explanation of like, you know, how they handled their waste management and other things he didn't like about the distillery. I mean, I have trouble remembering what I ate for breakfast this morning. And this guy was, you know, telling me about, you know, 40, 50 years ago, uh, right. like, like, like it was like two seconds ago. Um, but but there's there's a lot of great whiskey people and, and Kentucky is really full of them. So when you set out on this endeavor, what what made you decide to seek out, uh, as you said, an abandoned mark and resurrect it rather than starting your own? Uh, it's a good question. I, I, I knew Michter's well. I mean, I bartended, and I bartended through college and um, uh, liked Michter's, drank Michter's. Um, I actually worked, uh, my, my, my first selling job uh, was, was selling, actually specifically assigned to sell Michter's uh, one summer between junior and senior year of college, um, <laughs> and um, uh, Pennsylvania Michter's in those days. Right. Um, and uh, it, it, it just, it, it had a lot of, it, the brand had a lot of history. Um, at that point, absolutely nobody wanted it. I mean, nobody wanted to put any money against it. Nobody wanted to put any resources against it. Um, and it just seemed like a real shame to have this thing just, you know, relegated to the dustbin of history. Right. I mean, it's, 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 you know, I, I, I thought it was a great American brand. It was just a shame to see it out of business. Yeah. Hist historical preservation. Yeah. I, I, that's that's plenty that. of motivation. I was just curious what the motivation was. Yeah. Um, how long have you been with the team? Uh, you, you mentioned I, outside before we got on the air that you were with Beam for a while. Yeah, I, I started in Jim Beam and um, about twelve years ago. I joined the Mixers team in uh, um, December of uh, two thousand fourteen. Um, all of the equipment was set, and uh, I was brought in to help Pam and the team, you know, finish the construction of it and, and bring the distillery online. We came online in August of two thousand fifteen, and um, We've been going for two years now, so it's been it's been great. We have excellent equipment. Um, our distillation system is 100% copper. We have a 32-inch diameter continuous column still. We have a nice doubler. We can, you know, use it as a doubler, thumper, so forth. I mean, they built it in mind of being able to do different projects, you know, innovation, so forth. So. Um, and we know copper makes excellent yeah. distillate. Well, you're gonna Very clean. You're going to love my bar after this when you okay. come see it because all, right. all my stuff is copper. Oh, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, copper compulsion over there. Yeah. Um, so I have to ask, what got you into distillation in, in the first place? I mean, was it something that your family did or something you were just intrigued by? Like, Well, I, I wish I had the, the long story to go back in the history. No, I, I'm just very fortunate. I had a friend. Um, I'm from northern Indiana. I had a friend that had moved down to Louisville, and uh, he began at Jim Beam, and um, one day he called and let me know that there were some openings if I was interested, and I was looking for something different in my life, and I came down and went through the hiring process and started out as a distillery operator, hands-on, um, worked at the Claremont facility, and then uh, two years later, uh, I was uh, fortunate enough to promote into supervision and went to the Jim Beam Boston plant, which is the Booker No plant. And that's where I met P Pam Heilman. She was the 
uh, distillery manager, which at the time that's the you know world's largest bourbon facility. So um, yeah. and that's where I began, and then which <laughs> paved the way for me to be able to start at the world's largest. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know when you look back, like I said, at twelve years, I'm still young in the industry. I learn every day. Um, and and it paved the way for me to join the Michter's team, which is awesome. And, and again, you go back with, you, you can't beat the history and, and then what we're trying to accomplish. I mean, you know, as Joe always says, whether we're doing it or not, we're, our goal is to make the uh, best American whiskey. So, uh, and I love that. I mean, um, we put quality first. Um, every day, like today's distillate that we make, tomorrow we're going to come in. Um, we're very fortunate to have a gas chromatograph mass spectrometer. So tomorrow we're going to come in, use that, take a sample, run it on it, measure certain compounds, and it has to pass that. And then also we do a sensory panel. Um, if both of them pass, we give the warehouse the green light. And then if one fails, we'll actually um, ship it out, put it in totes and ship it out to be repurposed in the fuel ethanol. So, I mean, um, to have single barrel rye, it has to be consistent. So if it, for some reason, um, maybe we had a bad fermentation or a mechanical problem, I mean, we'll we'll get rid of it, and what, there's no room for it because if it's bad now, it's going to be bad later. Right. Yeah. And same with our all our small batch products, um, we, we take it um, to a new level, I believe, for a large producer, a larger producer. Our equipment can only hold 20 full barrels. So even our small batch is truly small. So wow. yeah, I mean, that's, a lot to, of, that's a lot of integrity to the product. Yeah, you have to way. have consistency and quality. If you, you know, if you have a, I don't care how good a distillery you are, you're going to have a barrel that's musty. You're going to have a barrel that's too wood. Sure. You're going to have a mm-hmm. barrel where where the coolers, you know, cooling down the fermenters wasn't right. Yeah, they're not operating right. They're not made in the factory. Wrong. These are these yeah. are organic things. Exactly. That's exactly right. And 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 not everyone's going to be. Perfect, and and so so you know if you have a batch of like if you're a small batch because there's no legal definition of small batch if your small batch is a few hundred barrels, you got five barrels in there that are so so are not very good. They kind of get lost. They'll throw the batch off a little bit, but it'll still be very very good. Yeah, it'll uh, blend we, out. You, you, it, won't, you maybe won't notice it so much. Exactly, but if you have one barrel that's bad in twenty, the whole thing is just terrible. Right, I mean, it's really bad. Sure, it's and got so, more of an impact. Yeah, so we really we really do try to take the quality seriously. You know, one of the one of the things I think is a I think the single biggest strength of our company is is the people. Um, and after that, I think one of the other advantages that we have, and it's, and it's a disadvantage not to be a huge, you know, uh, a huge public company, but I think the fact that we're privately held and the fact that we have ownership that have said, you know, to our team, you know, whatever you know to do to make the best whiskey possible, don't worry about your cost of goods sold. And we really push that to the limit and try to do the try to do the quality. We we, we take a lot of steps, whether it's you know where, our 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 wood our wood for our US one bourbon our US one rye, um, it we require it to be air dried outside outdoors for eighteen months or more before it's made into a mixer's barrel. Um, uh, probably the most expensive thing that we do of all, and Dan can explain it in in, in technical ways that go right over my bald head. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, but 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 you know we barrel at 103 proof like they used to barrel the good bourbons in the 60s and the 50s, rather than barreling at a higher strength. The higher strength uh, of the alcohol that you put in the barrel, it's a solvent. The more, the more it's pulling yeah, out more yeah, stuff. Yeah, and and the more but the more the more bottles of 90 proof you know you'll get out. 
but it, it, it's not going to be as rich. It's going to be harsher. Dan, what's the chemical explanation for that? Well, at that lower alcohol content, we know it dissolves the sugars more readily, but the polyphenols that are compounds out of the wood, um, it helps uh, more sense break it down, but that caused the burn. And um, so by us having the lower alcohol content, you know, it just reacts differently. So that's why all, all of our whiskeys you'll see have a nice smooth finish. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, if you enter your whiskey at a higher, like 125, you know, it interacts with the barrel more differently and doesn't break those polyphenols down. So, I mean, it's, and, and, and again, we do that for all of our products. I mean, whether all the barrels, you know, the 103 entry proof, so forth, it's for all of our products. It's not just a special release. So, um, yeah, that's, I mean, makes sense to me. Yeah, I mean, if, if, you, if, you, if you start at 103 proof, after six years, it's about 110 proof or so. If you start at 125 proof, like a lot of people do, after six years, it'll be 140 proof. Now, you have two barrels. One's 110 proof, one's 140 proof. You want to take it down to 90 proof, you have to add a lot more last-minute water that never had right. the benefit of interaction with the wood to the 140 right. than you do the 110. There are all these... I, I, I am not a distiller like, 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 like Dan or like Pam, um, but I've been fortunate to where I worked with Charlie Wells, who was former president of Four Roses, was my first boss uh, at a school. Um, um, yeah, I worked with Dick Newman, worked with some really great people, Willie Pratt, our master distiller emeritus, who still is in and out of the office as he pleases and in and out of the distillery as he pleases. Um, so I've, I've tried to learn stuff, but th- there's so many little details that you don't really think about when you taste something, but they really can make a quite big difference. Yeah, well, again, especially when you're dealing with batches so small. Uh, we're staring at the clock right now. It's time to take a quick break to listen to our sponsors so we get uh, the support we need to make these shows happen. Uh, we're going to come right back and talk to the team from Michter's Distillery more about American whiskey. Yeah. Hey, this is Chef Eric from Roberta's Radio. I love eating pizza for every meal, but sometimes I've got to branch out. Bob's Red Mill makes some stellar breakfast foods. Hey, Eric, the food in your big, bright, beautiful breakfast bowl looks delicious. Thanks. It's muesli. Muesli? Nah, muesli. It's like raw granola. You should try it. Uh, I don't know. My rich daddy buys me quail eggs and foie gras for breakfast every morning. Well, let me hip you on to something else. Did you know Bob's Red Mill is the flagship sponsor of Heritage Radio Network? I bet you if we call Bob himself, he can convince you. Hi, Bob here. Wait, is this the man from the muesli package? Yes, I'm Bob Moore. How can I help you? Uh, Hey there, Bob. This is Eric from Heritage Radio Network, and I'm here with Mike, who I'm trying to convince to try muesli. Oh, I love muesli. Muesli is such an easy way to start the day. I can take a bag of muesli and munch on it in my car and get full whole grain nutrition for everything I need for at least half the day. That is incredible. But what the heck is in the muesli anyway? It has rolled oats, uh, rolled wheat, rolled barley, rolled triticale, and, uh, of course, our dried fruits and the seeds that are so important to our health. It's one of my very, very favorites. After Bob's glowing recommendation, you going to try it? Like they say, try it, you'll like it. 
All right, let me at that muesli. By the way, you can find more delicious whole grain breakfast ideas at bobsredmill.com slash podcast. I'll check that out. I'll surf over there. Surf on over, dude. Surf on over, dude. (laughs) Surf on back. We are back. You're listening to the Speakeasy on Heritage Radio Network. Here today we have the team from Michter's and... Man, we've, we've learned a lot in that first, well, over half of the show. Yeah, but, uh, that was, you know, I, I, we normally would have taken a break earlier, but there was so much good information flying around, I didn't want to stop the flow. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Speaking of learning, I taught some classes yesterday. Yeah? Yeah, Bar Methods. Remember we had Chris Bidmeet on? Oh, yeah, yeah. So Bar Methods happened yesterday and the day before uh, at, the, uh, at the Park South Hotel. Um, some of my students are actually right outside the studio. I can wave at them right now. Uh, We're talking about you guys <laughs> on the radio. Uh, yeah, we got Ashley Porter out there from the McNeely Group in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Okie. Give her Oklahoma. the okay. Oklahoma. <laughs> right. uh, Christine is out there from the Shanty. We know her. And then uh, Brittany Erst from Copycat down in Washington, D.C. And Diana just joined them, but I don't know where she works or where she's from. But uh, that just uh, even that just small swath is a good uh, 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 you know, window to what Bar Methods did. You know, It's maximum 50 students, uh, and they came from all over the country. Um, uh, oh, actually, she's from San Diego. So we had San Diego, uh, as far west as I guess you can go from here, and, and everything even right here in town, which is pretty pretty crazy. Cool, man. I taught a class about stirring. Wait, like you, you go around instead of up and down? Yeah. Class dismissed. Class dismissed. Cool. <laughs> no, so Chris, Wait, Chris, reached out to me, yeah, Chris reached out to me and said, can you teach, a, you know, all you do at your bar is stir. You don't shake or do anything else. And I said, yeah. And he said, can you teach a class about stirring? And I said, sure. How long is the class? He said, it's an hour. I said, Chris, I don't know if I can talk about stirring for an hour. <laughs> and he said, well, do your best. So I dug in, started taking some notes, wrote up a, a lesson plan, because, you know, I used to be a teacher. Mm. And then I called him back a, a, week, a week later, and I was like, Chris, does it have to be an hour? And he goes, you can't find enough information? I was like, no, actually, I need 90 minutes. <laughs> like, there's a lot. When you get meta and you go into things, there's a lot. All right. Well, so don't laugh a, at me, pal. That's another Maybe show. Maybe you should take my <laughs> class. I will now. <laughs> Uh, anyway, we are back in the studio uh, with uh, Dan and Joe from Mictors. Uh, John's sitting here, again, being a church mouse in the corner. Um, and we are learning a tremendous amount about the, this particular spirit, as well as just the general, ge- some generalities about the business that were eye-opening. Yeah, just love that sound. Enjoying a little bit of it as well. well. I thought you were about to just pour it into your cider, which didn't seem like a terrible idea. I'm not drinking cider, I'm just drinking whiskey. Thank yeah. you. All right. I'm still <laughs> sipping on the Speakeasy Radio cocktail. Once yeah. again, thank you, Lady Hop. <laughs> Um, Serving it over ice. I got to tell you, what, what was your first experience with Mictors? It's Southern. funny that you would ask because I was trying to think of that while we uh, uh, while we were while we were in the first half of the show. Um, I was sitting. Uh, I was invited to a luncheon um, by uh, uh, one of my uh, liquor salesmen from uh, it's Empire. You guys are with, right? Yes. Yeah. So it was, it was my guy from Empire. And I can't think of his name right now. The slender, gray-haired gentleman in Brooklyn, by the way. You probably remember his name if I describe him well enough. Talks really fast. Very Brooklyn kind of guy. I can't remember his name. Several years ago, um, but I was invited to a luncheon at uh, Walter Foods. We sat out back and we had uh, a great lunch. And Jerome Burke, Jerome, that's it. Yes, absolutely. I was wearing a seersucker suit. Yeah, Winter yeah, or whatever. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Talks real fast. He's very, the best. Very Brooklyn He's the accent. He's the best. Jerome. Yeah, forgot about him because uh, you know I'm, <laughs> everything I do now is in Manhattan. He's not over here. He's over there. Uh, so yeah, Jerome invited me to a, a luncheon at Walter Foods. Uh, we sat in the backyard there, um, which was a beautiful some summer sunny afternoon, I think. And uh, uh, we tasted this whiskey that none of us had ever heard of, and 
uh, we got a little education on it, and then I, I'm, I pulled it over onto my bars when I was the head bartender at Rye in Williamsburg. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, so we pulled over the, the Rye. Cool. So it works. Those yeah. luncheons work. Those luncheons work. <laughs> I was working at a little whiskey shop in Red Hook called Linnell's LTD. Oh, yeah. Linnell Smothers. Somewhat uh, famous place. Yeah, and uh, the first one I had was the, uh, the 10-year Rye. And uh, I just kept that minute ever since then. <laughs> <laughs> no turning back. Yeah, it's uh, one of the few. Like I just, I just moved uh, about a month ago uh, out of this place I've been in for like nine, nine years. years. Yeah, and it's um, uh, like a real home. Yeah, and I had it was a big carriage house with a big basement. And I, you know, I'm a collector of spirits and other things, hats, yes, uh, guitars, motorcycles. Um, but boy. the uh, <laughs> But uh, when when I opened a bar, Grand Army, which we're going to be at uh, here in about uh, an hour or so, um, drinking Mictor's cocktails, um, I I just like I took a lot of my booze to the bar. I know that's illegal. Sorry, I, it was for a photo shoot. Let's say hey, that. Hey, <laughs> lots of things are lots of things are illegal. Yeah, but I stopped. I didn't really like keep too many things at home. But I've always had a bottle of Ten Year Rye at yeah. the house. Yeah, that's I, one of the. You, I've got like 10 bottles at home. Well, you mentioned earlier, Dan, that uh, it's it's a bit softer. It's a little bit sweeter than a typical rye. So it's easy to just kind of, for us, I don't, I, I'm going to speak for Damon a little bit. I think I can. We don't go home and make cocktails. We don't go home and uh, have an ice program, you know, like that's all, <laughs> that's all great and good at the, at the bar. That's great and good for the hardcore enthusiast who has a, a different job in the daytime. But I don't do that stuff. So I just have stuff that's sitting around that I can just pour in a glass and drink. And this certainly, yeah. this certainly qualifies. That's how I normally enjoy the the whiskey is drinking it neat. Yeah. But now that I'm meeting more people, more, uh, a lot of great bartenders, and the creativity and growing to seeing the cocktail, tasting the cocktail, it, it is great to have when you're out and about. And but yeah, if I'm at home, it's it's neat and yeah, it's um you know and uh, going to the ten year rise, the ten year bourbons that we have. Uh, another special thing that we do do is um. We don't age for a, a, a birthday. We age for a taste profile. So I think that goes a long way in our whiskey. So, you know, you may have a 12-year-old in that 10-year bottle or even older, 14. Oh. oh. Um, so I think that's very special, too. Um, and that goes back to our US1 line. You know, you know, we're not just releasing it at, a, at its birth date in one day. You know, we, we won't release it until we feel it meets, um, you know, our brand profile, our house style. So, you, so, so basically what you're saying is you've come to understand that there's a minimum, it's going to be 10 years old before you start even approaching it, but it may be four more years before you put it in a bottle. It, exactly. With that 10-year label on the label. That's amazing. I mean, if you think about it. I'm learning so much today, Dan. You know, we forecast out, so we, we, may, we have whiskey that may be 20 years one day, 25 years one day, but at some point, we're constantly monitoring it once it gets over, you know, 10 years, you know, a couple times a year. We're, again, sensory gc things like that if we feel it's plateauing or maybe even getting ready to decline we'll stop we'll put it in stainless steel barrels and stop the aging you didn't and bring any of that today <laughs> yeah, right that, that might have been in also, your tenure yeah <laughs> so so okay wait so it's someone's job to go around and quality control taste test this stuff so it actually is so when we come down is that our gig we get to put on like the hairnets you're, you're gonna be moonlighting <laughs> <laughs> the toughest job in the distillery <laughs> no, it, 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 it's really interesting our, our master distiller Willie Emeritus uh, Willie Platt is uh, our master emeritus is really uh, has just 
spent 50 years really studying aging and mm -hmm. every, he says, every different thing you could do to a barrel I've done. Um, and um, um, he, he, he says that you reach a certain point where there's 15, 17 years, he calls it the fork and the road point. And he, he says he doesn't really know why, and nobody's ever really given me a, 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 a real clear explanation, but you could have two barrels barreled the same exact day, sitting in the same, right next to each other in the warehouse, and for some reason, say after 17 years, one starts to get too woody. And again, you're going to get wood at a certain point, but you don't want it to be all wood in your old whiskeys. Then you have another barrel right next to it that just gets better and better and better. And it's 25 years old. It's like, oh, my God, this is amazing. So, 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 well, so it's what we talked about before. The barrel itself is an organic piece, and they're different. Barrel to barrel, stave to stave. I think that's probably the best explanation of it because it's not, you know, it, it, it's it, as you said, it, it, you know, it, it was a living organi organism, and 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 you don't, you know, everything's not going to be identical, uh, even though you try to have them be identical, but it just doesn't work that way, and and it becomes the differences become more pronounced. Um, you know, really after like 15, 17 years. And that's why when you visit us or when, when some of our friends on uh, listening today visit us, you know, you'll see, they'll say, what the hell do you have these steel barrels for? And if we sense that, you know, something, and we start to, as Dan said, we start to taste and analyze stuff more regularly once it reaches, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know uh, over 10 years. Um, so before 10 years, you're just tasting it once in a while. 10 years, start tasting it more frequently because things are changing more rapidly. Yeah? Th that's, exa that's exactly right. And the thing is, if, we sent, if our people sense that, that you know, Dan, Pam, uh, our, 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 our master of maturation, Andrea Wilson, uh, who's the first woman, by the way, to uh, ever chair the Kentucky Distillers Association? She's amazing. Nice. Um, wow. Um, so, so Andrea, you know, if she senses and Pam senses that something is going to be too woody, we stop the clock. And so, let's say it's 14 years old or 17 years old when you put it in stainless steel. As far as the government's concerned, you could keep that another hundred years. Still, it's 17 years old. Yeah, 14 exactly. to 17 years old. Yeah. You've, yeah. you've the stopped the maturation that, process. Yeah. Unlike some other countries, it, it doesn't count. Um, but but that's one reason why the older barrels of mixers that do get to uh, do do get and stay in wood you know twenty years they got to be pretty extraordinary because otherwise we would have culled them out you know right. we don't we don't just age anything and just okay whatever the hell it tastes like was twenty years old we'll sell it as twenty years old we, we don't we don't operate that way yeah on that note I had a uh, at rye I had a rye whiskey on the bar that was a twenty three year old vintage rye. And the only reason I purchased it and kept it on the bar was to pour it on people and show them how bad things can go. This was not a good rye, right? I won't say its name, but older is not older, older can be better, be better, but it's not always better. exactly it's not that, always better. That was what I was trying to do: is to show my guests uh, through you know a, a visceral education piece that that uh, that, that 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 that's true. Older totally doesn't right. always mean better. Um, I think twelve to fifteen, twelve to seventeen for a bourbon or a rye. I mean, like I feel like rye has, it can age longer. Something about I've, I've always thought I don't know, but like bourbon, it's twelve to seventeen ish. Yeah. Everybody's got their sweet spot. But I've also tasted some really good six-year-old ones. Sure. So well, that's really that's just a testament even, to even the old workhorse three-year-old that I drink all the time. Yeah, <laughs> that's just a testament to like, like just go out and taste everything. I mean. Just, just so you know what you like, you know that's 
Yeah, don't be, don't be. Uh, I, th- I think what you're driving is don't be fooled by marketing. Don't be duped by the hype. Uh, taste around and find the thing you like, and and, and you know, educate your palate. And uh, again, there's no. Uh, it, it's a good thing to find something that sucks because that gives you a litmus. Yeah. When I found totally. that bottle that sucked, I kept buying it because I kept pouring it on people. Yeah. You know, what I wanted to be like. You know, it doesn't suck. This right here. This this right right here is quite delicious, uh, both on its own and in this delicious cocktail. Oh man, you're very kind for being here with us today, guys. Thanks so much. Super humble. It's been great. Uh, Yeah, this has been great. Yeah, and I can't wait to come down. I've never been to the Mixer Distillery, so like we're definitely either. We are. We are through. Maybe you can do a podcast in there if you can. I think we will. Absolutely, we we will. We definitely will. Dave, you set us up with some equipment down there. Yeah, absolutely. All right, thanks, buddy. Yeah, so I, like it when he, I like it when he chimes in. <laughs> so, guys, thanks again yes, for thank coming you. on the show. Thank today. you so much. Uh, for those out there listening live, we're about to head over to to my bar, Grand Army, and we're gonna have some some Michter's neat, and we're gonna have some Michter's cocktails. And awesome. uh, why not? Great yeah. cocktails at Grand Army. Yeah, thanks for the best. We're gonna do that, and uh, yeah, so that's at three thirty six State Street, uh, downtown that Brooklyn. Great Street. Great street. Yes. <laughs> Downtown Brookland. Yeah. Uh, dude, this has been a great show. I really appreciate you guys being here. I'm really happy to be back this week to see you. Yeah. I, I missed your smiley Likewise. face last week Likewise, while I was in Charlestown. <laughs> um, who, yeah. do you, who do you have coming up uh, at Coop? Oh, that's a great thing. Uh, let's see. I don't have the coup calendar on me at the at this particular moment, but we should talk about our own calendar uh, next oh, week. Thanks, speaking of coup, thanks for bringing me those koozies from. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. We should, I was thinking about that on the train today. Abigail we got have, me one from. We should have some koozies. Oh snap! <laughs> oh, like those kookies they made us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, next week uh, is the sixth. We got Amanda Schuster on the show. She's going to be uh, talking about her new book. Uh, following week uh, will be Andrew Meltzer. He's a USBG uh, San Francisco president. Pretty cool dude. Um, the following week might be Matteo Lasardo from yeah, Lasardo. Right. right. Um, if not, uh, that'll be Tiki Adam. Either way, a great show. Um, and then uh, I think that's all I've got laid out so far. Cool. Anyhow, take us out. All right. Well, cool. That's it for the Speakeasy this week. Check out Heritage Radio Network for many more programs like this. Also, check out Mictors at Mictors.com. Thank you. And uh, go to any of our fine drinking establishments, and you can try it. I've got them. Try it on me. Yeah. Yeah, man. Love it. <laughs> All right. That's it. Cheers, guys. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's going to save your soul. The listening to heritage radio network food radio supported by you for our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on facebook instagram and twitter at heritage underscore radio heritage radio network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better fairer more delicious place And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.